In 2019, I took the Makers and Mystics podcast on the road and visited communities around the country who share a similar focus of building bridges between art, faith, and culture. You may recall our recent episode with Carrie Wallace on the discipline of inspiration, which we recorded live in New York City. Today, I want to take you with me to Charlottesville, Virginia, and share excerpts from our conversation on art as healing. In this episode, you'll hear from a diverse panel of voices, including medical professionals, community leaders, and educators, discussing how art contributes to healing for individuals and to society. If you're a patron of the podcast, you have access to the full conversation, which includes a spoken word performance by poet Latasha Struther. In light of recent events, I felt this conversation on art as healing was timely and offers creative insights on navigating through difficult times. I've said often that the artist is an architect of hope and a voice of reconciliation for a divided world. I think you'll find the perspectives in this conversation to be helpful in finding our way forward and understanding the vital role of art as an agent of healing. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to today's guests and to register for Come and See, an online event from The Breath and the Clay. Come and See is a series of online workshops, short talks, and discussions on the theme of perception, how the way we see shapes the art we make. This is Season 7, Episode 9, Art is Healing, live from Charlottesville, Virginia. So tonight's topic for discussion is art as healing. And specifically tonight, we're going to be discussing the role of art and the artist, both on an individual level as well as a community level. And we've brought together a panel of artists, community leaders, and our first medical professionals to ever be on the Makers and Mystics podcast representing. <laughs> And uh, they're all gonna offer their perspectives on this topic of how art contributes to healing to individuals and to our society. And so I wanted to start the discussion by talking with the community director of the farmhouse here in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, Lauren Stone Street. <laughs> Lauren is a photographer, a dancer and choreographer, a musician, as well as the leader here at the farmhouse. And so. I'm going to dive right into our talk, and I wanted to start with this question for you. I know that one of the core values of the farmhouse is you have a value on creating a safe place, and a safe place for belonging, for artists, and for community members. And I think that that's such an important component to fostering healing, both on an emotional and a spiritual level, is creating that safe place, a place where we can be vulnerable, let our guard down. Tell me some of the ways that your community here at the farmhouse creates safe spaces for art and for healing to exist. I think it's actually really simple where we, um, on a weekly basis, we set the table in different ways. So we are a full-time co-working space for artists, Monday through Saturday, eight to eight. And artists will kind of sign on for three to six months and declare what they want to do here at the house. And we come alongside them and encourage them in that. So we're creating a safe space for them to explore that creativity. But Monday mornings, we have coffee hour of connection. Tuesday nights, we have music and, and worship and um, community art hours. 
Um, so these different spaces of time are created where we're setting the table in a sense of, of nourishment. And I, for me, I, I want to set the table and then just get out of the way for them to have access to that. Um, yeah, and there's a scripture too in Isaiah that came to mind when we were preparing about the mountains being brought low, the valleys lifted up, the rough places made plain, and um, the crooked made straight so that the king of glory may come in, Jesus. And I think a lot of times culture, it makes it really difficult for us to access the heart. It's not as, it's not very easy. So I feel like as artists and my responsibility and, and I think farmhouse, the heart of the farmhouse is really bringing those mountains low, those valleys up, making a way to just have access to God, access to the heart, access to be able to be vulnerable and creating those safe spaces so we can share together and then seeing what comes out of that organically and then stewarding it. So whatever comes up, then we have a responsibility for what's what's coming up. Well, I want to ask you a pointed question. And, you know, it just so happens that this weekend that we're here is two years since the riots happened here in Charlottesville. And I know that you guys played a pretty significant role in even responding to that. Can you tell me a little bit about what the farmhouse did to respond to that situation? Man, I feel like we just were who we were. <laughs> mm -hmm. That just came to mind. And uh, we had so embedded um, creating safe spaces for a couple years before that for people to come and create and explore their, their heart and get there that we, we set the table that next week. I had people were um, texting me calling me saying, Lauren, I need a safe space. I need a safe space to process. Can I come to the house? Can I come to the house? And I realized by us being ready with that, then we were able to offer that. And so the next two weeks after everything was going on, the house was open to anyone who wanted to come. Um, it was a contemplative space. Um, we had people were bringing food actually, and just having that nourishment if we needed it, conversations were happening. And um, folks were just really able to connect with one another and process mm -hmm. and also respond. We had the whole front studio turned into a space where um, people could create if they needed to, just to kind of get it out and, and then discuss it and even connect with prayer counselors if needed. There was some of that available as well. And so that was kind of the role we played. We were who we were. And also in the neighborhood that we're in, um, we connected with our neighbors and they're incredible human beings, resilient, beautiful. Mm -hmm. and they were actually consoling, like talking to us. Oh, you know, and just, we learned a lot in that time. A lot of sitting on porches with people mm -hmm. and just slowing down and listening and being together. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. That's really good. Well, a phrase that I've heard you use before mm -hmm. is this phrase, a culture of honor. Mm -hmm. And I know that that phrase can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different communities. And I've heard that used in several different ways, but I see that you guys have created a culture of honor and I would, I would love to know what does creating a culture of honor mean to you and how do you aim to create a culture of honor here at the farmhouse? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll start at the origin of where I even heard these words for me. With two years ago when I was in Pemba, Mozambique with Iris Global and Heidi and Roland Baker serving with them. And they teach this as part of their reaching out to the people in Pemba and Mozambique all over. So I learned there with the tribe, when we met with tribal leaders, that they said phrases like go low and slow, which is about humility, which is about the positioning of the heart. And also in that culture, it is lowering yourself, you know, when you're meeting someone new, especially a leader, and then bringing yourself to the same, this is who I am, this is who you are, and then who are we together. And so for a culture of honor for me is really slowing down enough and walking in humility and dropping your agenda and seeing what's already happening organically listening, patience, and honoring the history that we're, the context that we're in, the individual stories that we're in, 
because I think that is how we build bridges and that's how healing I think can be facilitated between people who may not have been connected before and so I walk in that I think every day while I'm here at the farmhouse living here working here creating here is really um, slowing down going low and slow the posture of the heart for me is what I brought back in and then also being available that's a that's the way that I've designed my life is where I'm able to if God says pause talk to this person be available for this conversation someone's inviting you over to their house walk on in shift your schedule a bit as you can to be available then that's that's what I want to do so honoring and then figuring out who we are together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's beautiful and I resonate with that deeply because it's it's one of the shared values that I think that the breath and the clay community has Mm -hmm with the farmhouse, you know, is listening to everyone's story and valuing diversity and valuing these differences of perspective and and giving space. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've seen you guys do really well. So I've got one last question for you that I want to ask. And this one goes back to one of the mission statements that I've read about the farmhouse. But you have a mission statement that reads that you're committed to the restoration of the imagination by raising a standard of beauty. Tell me what that means. (laughs) (laughs) So it started as a personal mission statement about five years ago, so I've been sitting with it for a while. And I heard it from a teaching, actually from another gentleman down in North Carolina. He was talking about he was living in a way that was not the best for him. We'll put it that way. And his grandmother had given him a record that had uh, was Handel's Messiah, and he would just put it on the background. And it would just play, and he remembered the colors, yellow and pur- whatever, yellow, purple, a couple other colors. But that stood as a symbol of a standard of beauty in his life that later, he didn't, subconsciously, he didn't realize that music was flowing over him, but it kept him from certain things, and then it broke into his personal healing. So that really stuck with me. And um, the imagination for me, I feel like um, when I'm connecting with people here in the neighborhood or my family or friends where, where we were just kind of hitting a wall, we're trying, we're trying, we're trying, and then we give up. There's that moment of just kind of collapsing and we lose hope, we lose faith. I feel like that's where the arts can come in and undergird that and restore the imagination, renew the mind to where we can dream again, we can hope again, we can have rebuild that faith. Um, and particularly the phrase raising a standard of beauty, the word standard can be like, what? Like, what is that? But it comes from Isaiah 59. Um, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises a standard against him. The word standard there means image, symbol, or banner. So we're really raising up beauty as a symbol for what is the standard. This is it. And so um, that starts with our conversations, how we treat each other, beauty, raising that standard in our hearts, how we treat everybody around us. And then also the spaces that we create, that is how I feel like that can be expressed throughout all the community. Well, Lauren, on behalf of the Breath and the Clay and the Makers and Mystics community, we just love what Farmhouse is doing. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes of the episode so that everybody can connect back to you. So for those of you listening to this episode, I just encourage you to follow that link and connect with the work that Lauren and all the team is doing here in Charlottesville. So, hey, let's give it up for Lauren Stone Street and the Farmhouse. I'd like to introduce our panel to you guys tonight. And we have got some exceptional folks here and I'm excited that we have 
our first medical doctors and neuroscientists to ever appear on the Makers and Mystics podcast. <laughs> yeah, such a good time. So I want to introduce Mr. David McDonald, who is the doctor of osteopathy and community medical director at Plexus Clinic here in Charlottesville. Bernard Hankins, who is philosopher, poet, creative speaker at the local TEDx Talks, and a co-teacher at the A3 House Program at Albemarle High School, which is an audio production class that focuses on music creation and podcast production, right? And then we've got Nadine Michelle, who is an MD with a PhD student at the University of Virginia, neuroscientist, and accomplished jazz musician. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to get into some of that neuro- <laughs> neuroscience and jazz. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and we've got uh, Mr. Brendan Jameson, who is a pastor of worship and small communities leader at All Souls Community Church, a songwriter and also a community director and prayer counselor. So our topic tonight is art as healing. But there's something that comes before that, because why would we need to talk about art as healing if there wasn't a need for healing? It's like something preceded this conversation. And I think that from an individual level to a cultural level, we're at a place, especially here in the States, where there really is a need for healing on an individual level and a societal level. And so to get us in the conversation, I'm going to read something to you from my own writing and get you to weigh in on it. There's a relationship between beauty and justice that's important for the artist to understand. Beauty can be described as a manifestation of various elements in right relationship. What we perceive as beautiful is often a combination of qualities that are pleasing to the senses when encountered. It's a balance of symmetry and uniqueness, familiarity and novelty. And justice, like beauty, is the result of right relationships. It is the fair and appropriate treatment of all. Justice is situations made right, lives lived as intended by God. And I think it's interesting that Merriam-Webster defines justice as the quality of being fair, because this word fair can also mean to be beautiful, such as in my favorite, one of the fairy tales, Snow White, Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, who is the fairest of them all. There's something of the relationship there. And so what I wanted to point out to you guys, are you familiar with Dorothy Day? Dorothy Day was the Catholic worker. She was a writer and activist back in the 60s. And she said that her intentional relationships with the poor and her determination to find beauty contributed to her pursuit of justice. And Day believed that providing images of good things, such as vines and grapes, a mother with children, it countered the troubledness and the bitterness of our world. And acknowledging the ugliness of poverty, Day believed that people could create the kind of humility needed in reversing the systems that sustain such brokenness. And the hospitality that Day and other members of the Catholic Worker Movement offered was always tagged with some aspect of beauty, no matter how simple. It made a difference in the lives and the morale of those they ministered to through novels, nature, art, and music. Day found solace in human vulnerability and ugliness, a sense of beauty that arose from the forsaken. So I know that's a mouthful, but it's, <laughs> sorry, I read you a chapter of my book. 
But essentially, what I want to hint at is how beauty impacts wholeness and how music impacts these things. Let's dig into this a little bit deeper. Bernard, you're working with high school students. A lot of angst there, you know, a lot of unsettled questions. Let's dive into that. Tell me a little bit more. So first, I'll just respond to your wordplay with wordplay because that's I love wordplay and that's kind of how I actually arrive at a lot of my ideas. So I, I never thought of the fair and fair. But one thing I have thought of is one time I was thinking about why is it when a painting is brought back to life, it's called restoration. And so it just got me thinking that, like you're saying, there's this connection between something is not actually just until it's like beautiful and returned to its original state. The other wordplay that I do is art is an aesthetic that is anesthetic. So like art is an aesthetic that is anesthesia. Yeah. Because, you know, you go to the doctor, you don't just lay down. They put you to sleep or they <laughs> numb you up because, you know, if you try to take that directly, you wouldn't be able to receive the healing. So there's something about art, grace, compassion, empathy that precedes truth. You know, you have to numb people up in a way before you start talking to them about racism or sexism. If you just come at them hardcore, they're like, all right, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, something to be said about people are unwilling to receive healing or justice or, the, or people are unwilling to do the hard work until they're softened. Um, and your other thing reminded me of, it was either uh, John Elridge book or Rob Bell, where he said there was like, I think it was after World War II, where there was like people in the medic and the sol she was like, was, nurse was like, soldiers, what do you need? He was like, can you just go get some lipstick and like put it on for me? And like that, just seeing something beautiful and like being able to witness visually aesthetic beauty when you've seen so much horror and war and death, there's just something about your soul needs to be nourished with just color again or you know or just like you're saying the intricacies of colors if you're putting on night vision goggles you know and blood like you just want to see colors in a positive way for once mm -hmm. i think that was that's beautifully said and it goes back to lauren and the farmhouse and when they were talking about creating a safe place and you know you, you're talking about the anesthesia and the uh, you know that i see that as creating a safe place to be able to handle some of the the more tragic or difficult things that we really need to address I'm curious in, in any of your other thoughts that anybody that wants to weigh in on that. Well, people don't want to hear truth many times because it's not preceded by mercy. And when you look at mercy and truth, they always kiss each other. Well, they're supposed to. You know, the most obnoxious person that has a truth and they cross all the T's and they dot all the I's and they misspell the word because they haven't kissed truth with mercy. And so as a, as a physician, I have to hold back truth until somebody wants to hear it, if they even want to hear it. Because like you said, they're not ready and, and they may not be able to take something unless they're in a position to receive it. And music can set that up. There's a reason why we're supposed to do psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms tell about the time that God saved us when I was in trouble. Hymns talk about the faithfulness. And spiritual songs are when you're on your own and there's no words and there's nothing. And so that's the diet that we need to become whole. And in that setting, we can hear truth. Well, you said something that led me into this, and it's a, a question pointed directly for Nadine. And I'm really fascinated by the fact that you're a neuroscientist and a jazz musician. <laughs> like, that's like the coolest thing ever. I mean, let's just be real, you know what I mean? 
But you were talking about, uh, Dr. Dale, you know, how music plays into to healing. And, and I'm curious to know from you, Nadine, how has your research as a scientist informed you as an artist? Yeah, so I think for me, music has always been a big part of my life growing up. My mother was a singer. Um, my grandparents, when we went to visit them, it was like, okay, you on this instrument, you on this one, and we would just play for hours. That was like um, what we would do. And um, so when I was in school and trying to figure out career-wise what I wanted, I thought a long time about being a music therapist, actually. I wanted to heal people through music. I was like, yes, this is the way I want to do this. This is going to be awesome. Um, and when I got to college, I actually got the opportunity to go to Haiti after the earthquake. And then I started talking to people who were living there in the tent cities, and we were assessing people for post-traumatic stress disorder. And when I started talking to them, I started realizing that people were suffering in such profound ways. People who had seen so many terrible things and atrocities and talking to them about how did you get through this. And so we started putting the data together and doing research and we learned that the people that were resilient were the people that were singing, that were doing music, that were active in church community, that were living life together. And so even though they were in these situations where they were literally living in tents, it's raining, things get muddy, it's terrible, you would come out to talk to them and there would be a circle of people singing and dancing together and they were still finding the joy in life even though things were so difficult. Oh and so I was so inspired by that and that really led me to, to looking more into the biology of how all of this works. And so I decided to major in neuroscience and then decided to go on this path of doing research and medicine together to learn more about that. And so what I study now is looking at genetics during um, early brain development and about how stress can impact the way that the brain is formed and how that could lead to different brain disorders like depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, just many of the different things that we've all heard about. And so I'm still in the process of figuring out where all of those things intersect together. I still do music because it gives me life in the work that I'm doing. But in the future, I really want to pursue how the arts and how healing can actually change the way that the brain is formed and how it functions. Well, I want to ask a question to Brendan. And I know that you do a lot of work here in Charlottesville on the ground level with the community. And I know that one of the things you've done is that you've taught contemplative prayer. And I'm really interested in that because for me, the path of the maker and the path of the mystic is one and the same. And for me, all art begins in contemplation. All creativity begins in contemplation. You know, it begins in communion. It begins in beholding something in a focused, set-apart time. Some people would call that the flow. And so I'm curious to know some of your experience in teaching and in dealing with contemplative prayer. I guess where my mind goes, if we're connecting this conversation to healing, I think that the deepest place where we encounter healing is to discern the presence of God with us. And I think that creativity is a part of how we pay attention. So uh, like in our church community, we have a space that we hold that's called sharing beauty, truth and goodness. And we talk about that as this means by which we pay attention to the presence of God. And I think that creating is often one of those ways that really helps us pay attention. And I think for me personally, that healing is when I discern that God is present. And so in the lack of that, you know, I think we, we live with woundedness that 
it just, I mean, what else do you do with it? It goes, you know, sort of unhealed where when we actually discern God's faithful presence, that's where we encounter healing. And so, you know, for me, I think uh, it would be really difficult to um, try to parse what is prayer, what is creativity, because um, so, so often they're, they're interwoven. And so I was thinking as I was coming here tonight about a song that I wrote when my wife and I were in the process of adopting one of our children. And it just so happened that right after we had been permission to go and get her, um, the country, the United States closed the visa process. And they said, sorry, everybody who is about to travel, you can't go and we're going to do our own investigations. And so we had this person who is now our daughter, but who we could not go and get. And it was this very, very dark season. And so I remember um, from that place of like, anguish just starting to write without an, an idea of where that was going to end up and so the first verse of that song says time runs out onto time accumulating and pouring onto waiting hearts slowly suffocating and silence takes hold of the heart and grates like torture the knife edge drawn on naked souls and raw emotions and the, the phrase was then for the, the chorus where are you and so that began, you know, the question was, God, where are you? But then as I was writing, right, the next verse was, Mother, father, daughter, wait, beyond enduring. Hope deferred makes a heart sick, you know, a black night obscuring. But, but love reaching out across the deep won't be moderated. Child now living in open hearts, long anticipated. Where are you? And the where are you then was, to her, like, you should be here, but you're not. And that's not how I started writing that song. And then the final verse says, um, in the garden, in the evening, that knew no shadow, hearts in hiding now broken, dying, and father's voice of sorrow, where are you? And all of a sudden, that same chorus is the voice of God. And it's like illuminating something about the world that I live in that like backs all the way up to this this moment and like that was healing for me to um go through that process and to see the pain that i was living with now in a different light because of it so i think creativity helps us discern god's presence and helps us bernard what do you think yeah i think uh i like what, what brendan is talking about this idea of paying attention so something i'm big on is the idea of specificity like details the micro and like neuroscience art both focus on like what is the particular cell organism atom molecule artists are there with little paint brushes making little specks so i think what art does is it helps you to sort of dig into the unique detailed dimensions of yourself as a human uh, and back to what dr mcdonald was saying you, you know you can you can come in no one comes into the doctor's office and doctor says, so what's wrong and you go i hurt you know no one had no one hurts generally you know, you hurt very specifically. There's a story like I was in the garage, I bumped my elbow on the shelf, then it bruised, then I put, I, like there's a story connected to it. There's a distinct set of events that took place that caused it to be where it is now. So when you go to the doctor, you want them to pinpoint 
what it is, where it is, how long it's been, so they can say, okay, I think we should approach it in this way. And I think art is that for the soul. Because if you go to a concert and someone just says, yeah, you need love, you need love. I mean, that can help some, because it is a truth. But it's not detailed and distinct enough to like, like all the words Brendan was just saying, it was like, ooh, ooh, word, specific word, specific word, specific word, exact, right word. There was no just, I hurt. And I think that speaks to our uniqueness as people being made in God's image. He's like, hey, you are unique, you're intricate, you're infinite, you're complex, so you need a complex way to heal. And your doctor has a specific tool to go in with an incision. They don't just come in with a chainsaw and rip you. There's a precision to how healing takes place often. That goes back to the contemplation as well, because the, in, in that place of prayer and in that place of contemplation is a place where uh, it's a focused attention. Uh, to detail in the presence of God. Anything you want to add to this? Well, yeah, sometimes when people come in and they, they say they're hurting, and just for an example, your shoulder's hurting, it's not uncommon for them to get a non-steroidal or something, the right shoulder hurts, when actually it's the gallbladder that's the problem. And so just because you're hurting somewhere, it doesn't mean that's what it is. And so you've got to figure out you know, what it is. And so you get a great history, and then be bilingual in those moments because... That bilingual is, wait, I think there's something more here. And then what I do is I call it throwing Frisbees. I'll throw a Frisbee to somebody and say, you know, I was just thinking, could it be, is it possible, preface some of these questions, because I think I'm right, could it be that your pain is actually related to this? Is it possible that this is, so I throw Frisbees, and if they catch the Frisbee, we keep playing. If they don't catch the Frisbee, I quit. Can I tag on that? Yeah. A minute? So it's interesting as an artist, I was just, I'm sitting here thinking about the words connecting the dots and integration. Uh, when I'm sitting listening to a new artist that comes sits at the farmhouse or I'm introduced to somebody, um, I'm, I'm listening to their full story and usually when I'm like, hey, so what are you about? What do you like to create? What's happening? They'll unfold a story with me like, oh, I love this, but you know, oh, I remember this. And then they're connect. There's all these different stories that are happening. And so for me, you said bilingual for me was like connecting with Holy Spirit and listening with your spirit and responding. So you got kind of this effect going on listening and responding so God's highlighting these little things and he's connecting the dots and so usually they're highlighted to me I'm like oh can we what about this can you tell me a little bit more about that I mean he sends us on this pathway together to find a new a new way kind of how you were writing your song and you're like I started here but he connected the dots and got me here to a new point of healing and so I think even through sharing our stories coming into a doctor's office coming into a place um, a safe space to share kind of, this is where I'm at, then he's, he's able to connect those dots and bring some new perspective and integration of all of it. This kind of relates, but I was just reading recently about how we, we often in America define poverty in terms of material things, right? And so, but I was just reading this other, this guy who um, was saying that actually, I mean, if you go throughout the world, poverty doesn't just mean I mean, we just think through the, the, the financial sort of level, but like what Nadine was saying, poverty is actually defined by the absence of both community and imagination. Yes. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, yes. so we get people out of poverty when we restore community and imagination to them. Mm. You know, if we had a neuroscientist that we could ask questions about. <laughs> I was just thinking. <laughs> 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 
when you when you hum, actually humming that hum, that actually stimulates the temporal lobe, and so you can actually monitor uh, by a QEEG or an EEG or whatever the neuroscientist would know, and check that, and so you can actually restore the temporal lobe. Hmm. And so it's interesting. That's why humming or singing or skipping, crossover activity gets the corpus callosum, the left side, right side going. So when you're having a hard time learning or studying, a friend of mine was a principal of a local school and he would have the kids run around or skip or jump rope. And that increases the left side, the creativity with the facts, and it gets the corpus callosum going. And then to improve the memory, hmm. And so maybe a neuroscientist could research that. Bring it on, girl. No, I was gonna say though that we know that the brain is really interconnected when people are listening to music, when they're creating music. They've put people in scanners to look at brain activity when they're when a jazz musician is scatting or when someone is improvising, when someone is painting, and the brain is lighting up in all of these different regions because all of it is getting connected and there's a lot of communication happening there. And the reason why that's significant is because if you think about brain diseases like Alzheimer's where someone is losing neurons in specific regions of the brain, they may not be able to remember things about their past or people, but if you start singing something or you start doing art, then they light up, they remember it. That Those memories, they stick around because they're in so many different brain regions. So, art is healing. <laughs> Taking these ideas about, you know, how music affects us, you know, you mentioned Ray Hughes earlier, so I listened to a talk on his a long time ago about rivers of heaven and how, like, the word person comes for persona where we get sonar and so there's all this like stuff in the bible how we have like you know and i saw another sermon guys like we have pipes in us and we we know our feet are percussive and i did this thing with the medical school where they percuss on your body to find you know your different organs and i even mentioned to one of the medical students oh like percussion and they were like oh really yeah exactly so like the fact that we're sort of disconnected from our identity of what we originally are like we are music I mean, that's how I think of myself. When I'm making music, I'm like, I am music. It's not just something I do. I am made of music. So I feel like when you reconnect with that sense of what you are, it makes sense to be like, well, of course I would listen to music to heal myself because it's a part of my spiritual genetic makeup. Whereas if you feel uh, sad or sick, you may only think, well, I only need to take medicine. I only need to work out. But no, you need to, you need to work out, take medicine, get sunlight, eat healthy, listen to music, paint, draw, dance. Like every aspect of your humanity needs to be taken care of on some level. Yeah, it's really interesting. All you guys have been making me think too. It's like the command to sing in the Bible is probably repeated more than any other command within the Psalms and within the sing unto the Lord, a new song, sing unto the Lord, sing with a shout of joy, with a dance, with a drum, with a stringed instrument. It's like, you know, I, that would be fascinating to go back and see how many times that command to sing is actually repeated all throughout scriptures. And so here in the neuroscience take on that and what you're saying, you know, what all you guys are saying on that, it's, it's pretty fascinating. There's some doctors in this room, and if you go back to your anatomy, what's the name of those little muscles that hold the heart valves? Chordae tendini. Isn't that something? Chordae tendini. And what's that song that says, tune my heart to sing your praise? So it ties into what you're saying. This physician that I, I know, he's from California, he's written a great book, and it's affirmed by another uh, scientist actually at the University of Washington that there are frequencies 
that are placed on blood cells when they go through the heart, those frequencies send messages throughout the body. And we're getting into the quantum physics of stuff here. Mm -hmm. Quantum physics is really exciting because you really can't figure it out. So I love it because we don't know diddly squat. <laughs> but I do know the creator. And I do know the creator doesn't make a mistake. So when it says sing, there's a reason why you should sing. You sing when you're happy. You sing when you're sad. You sing because it gets those frequencies going. And Habakkuk was actually a song. When you look at Habakkuk at the end, it says, though everything's going south, I will rejoice. I will sing, because he makes my feet like Heinz feet. And I can walk. Yeah. I think just to connect back to your, your original question about justice and beauty and the intersection of those things, um, I just think I struggled for a really long time as an artist, because I think what you kind of glean in our culture is that art is an extracurricular thing like mm -hmm. it's expendable and we see that you know we see that played out in lots of ways and so i think i had a really hard time owning the fact that beauty was not expendable mm -hmm. that there's something that's indispensable Absolutely. about beauty and it you know and it works towards justice and it works towards those other things and um so i think just for us like to own the fact that creating um, is not kind of just a secondary <laughs> mandate for us. There's something essential about it and to try to own that. Absolutely. I've often said that creativity is not ornamental, but it's foundational to who we are as human beings. You know, and it's interesting, we're just talking about the song and that it's not extracurricular. If you guys don't mind, I'd, I'd like to read just to close this up. And thank you so much for everything you've shared. I could have an hour long conversation with each one of you guys. I feel like we just scratched the surface. We just started hinting at this thing. And so, you know, what we have to do from here and what I want to encourage our listeners to do from here is to take these conversations and these ideas that we've stirred up and let's begin to talk about these over coffee with our friends. Let's have our own home groups, our own events and things like this where we can dive deeper because ultimately I would like to see Art is Healing move from an individual understanding and an individual level to a community level, to a cultural level, to an international level, to a global thing. I'm not afraid of the epic and I believe in healing and I, and I believe that art is essential. It's not ornamental. Let me read this to you. This is also a passage from a book that I'm writing. And this is a section called The Architects of Hope because you've probably heard me say this several times before anybody that's kept up with the podcast but i i believe that we as artists and creatives and as followers of jesus that we are meant to be the architects of hope for our society in whatever field of influence we have and i'm reading this because it goes along brennan with what you just said about sometimes art can seem expendable but this i want to counter that idea with is that in our present day it can be easy to conclude from the various crises taking place around the world all the injustice and political unrest, the rampant poverty and environmental threats, persecution and killings, diseases and displacements, that art and beauty are mere luxury. It could even make some feel that to focus on art and beauty is insensitive or short-sighted. However, I want to suggest that it's precisely because of these desperate situations that the artist is called upon to beautify the world with art and engage these issues from a vantage point of hope. The desperate situation in our world calls for the artist to emerge as a prophetic voice for change and to offer heaven's alternatives. 
I'm reminded of the example of Iraqi cellist Karim Wasfi, who countered the tragedy of war by playing music at the sites of car bomb explosions and smoldering buildings in the background of his concertos. Wasfi said, the other side chose to turn every element, every aspect of life in Iraq into a battle and into a war zone. I chose to turn every corner of Iraq into a spot for civility, beauty, and compassion. This is the call of the artist in collaboration with God. We are called to be the architects of hope and counter the destruction of life with the opposite spirit in beauty and creativity. So thank you guys so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. If you'd like to dive deeper into these discussions, you can join our creative community at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at makersandmystics and our community page at The Breath in the Clay. 2020 has been a pretty insane year for most of us, but I want to encourage you that you aren't alone and that even should the way forward seem arduous and unsure, hope has the final word. I look forward to connecting with you June 17 through 20 for the Breath in the Clay online event. But until then, keep creating. The world needs your art.